welcome to a special episode of the HR Grapevine podcast. Today, we're going to be speaking all about IR35's imminent rollout to the private sector and how that impacts HR practice. For this week, myself, Dan Cave, Head of Content across the Grapevine portfolio, will be joined by an expert in the IR35 space to give us a heads up on this contested piece of tax law before it comes into force for the private sector early next month. In a conversation that we had previously, which will be shared in today's podcast, we'll explore exactly what it is about the change that impacts HR's remit, if Rishi Sunak's recent budget affected IR35 rollout, and what HR exactly needs to look out for. Why is IR35 still an issue? Well, IR35 and off-payroll working laws have been a vexatious topic since they were first conceived of around the turn of the millennium, with claims about it not really doing what it was meant to do when it was rolled out, the fact that it caused confusion and fear for those involved in the process, from those operating out of PSCs and end users as well, as well as issues regards talent flexibility and cost. In fact, 20 years on, some organisations are still saying it's one of the questions that they're asked about most, with people fearing the legal implications if they get it wrong. It's formation, I guess. It was originally created by Inland Revenue, initiated by the government to stop abuse of off-payroll working law, where, as the government described, one-man bank companies were essentially working as an employee does, but benefiting from corporate tax structures, i.e. having less tax that they were responsible for paying. Numbers banded around about what, if IR35 change, could save HMRC range from about £400 million to £700 million, which is a fair bit of cash. And since its conception, it's been a piece of legislation that has always been criticised. Since 2002, individuals have challenged IR35 rulings, whether they've been found to be inside or outside. And in more recent times, it attracted more criticism when it was rolled out for the public sector in 2017, with critics saying that the law relies on an inaccurate test, pushes employers into unnecessarily risk-averse decisions, such as deciding all their contractors are going to be caught by R35 and they must change agreements there, and people saying that it's unfair that the end client is responsible for deciding where that contractor sits regards this tax law. In more recent times, further consternation came around when it was decided how this would be rolled out for the private sector, It was originally planned to be done so in 2020, but pushed back due to the pandemic. There were a couple of crunch points as well in recent years, in both 2018 and 2020, both times of official IR35 review process, when people got to feedback to the government about how they thought the the rollout and the changes were going, with many feeding back in this period of time that they thought the government was rushing ahead with IR35, it could damage the flexibility of the labour market, i.e. stop 
organisations getting the acute talent they need for transformations, short-term work or project work, as well as creating large fixed costs for organisations that weren't necessarily needed. In fact, some point to the fact that HMRC have lost some fairly high-profile IR35 cases to show that there is still confusion about how IR35 rulings are made. One of the uh, ones in recent years is ITV Breakfast's Lorraine Kelly, who appealed against a 1.2 million tax bill along the IR35 lines. That said, HMRC has actually won some high-profile cases too. Eamon Holmes, presenter for ITV and Sky, was taken to court and the, the government won regards the way that he was interacting for work purposes with Sky and ITV. Anyway, it was all meant to come into play for the private sector last year, yet, as I've said previously, it got pushed back due to the coronavirus pandemic. So it's going to be rolled out next month. The reason for that pushing back, though, I think is actually very, very interesting. The government went on the record at about this time last year saying it was pushing back the IR35 rollout for the private sector because it wanted to do whatever it takes to support the British economy through this difficult period. Now, I don't want to read too much into that, but perhaps that's an indication that this change doesn't benefit the economy at all, especially during a time when economic outlook is uncertain and challenging and when businesses will be looking to be as agile and flexible as they possibly can be regards their talent and labour needs. But I'm not really an expert in that area. What I do know is the run through that I've just given you is pretty much where we are regards IR35 right now before it does get rolled out next month. Whilst I have reported on IR35 a fair bit over the last half decade, I'm by no means an expert, so what I thought it would be good to do on today's podcast would be to get an actual expert in, in the form of Seb Maley, CEO at Kudos Contractor and an IR35 specialist, to talk through what the changes mean for HR. Now, it's a pleasure to have Seb on the podcast today. He's been an expert in this space for the past 20 years, regularly comments in the national media about this topic and has won awards regards his advice and services in the IR35 space. He's also been a guide of sorts to HR Grapevine, as we've reported in this area over the past five years. So what you're getting for the next 10 minutes is my conversation with him. I really hope you enjoy it. I got a lot out of it. I think you guys will too. So, Seb, pleasure to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much. Yeah, very busy at the moment, obviously, with uh, with preparations for the 6th of April, but uh, we knew it was coming, so we're, we're well prepared for it. Brilliant. And I guess one of the things that, before we get into the nitty-gritty of where we are exactly now with I-35, is the budget earlier this month and the, the lack of mention of IR35 or of payroll in it, despite it, you know, just being around the corner. What are your thoughts about that and what does this show how the government, HMRC, view this issue now? 
Um, I, I guess it uh, shows that they very much view it as a done deal. Um, you know, I, I guess there were some quarters that were still hoping for for a last minute reprieve, um, uh, along with the budget. But uh, but clearly that didn't materialise. There was there was no real reference to it. Um, so so yeah, I mean, I, I think from the government's perspective, it's uh, it's going ahead. It's all systems go. I guess what contractors were also hoping to hear was that there was going to be some level of support for limited company directors, which is uh, obviously another area but uh, something again that was uh, that was lacking uh, from, from the budget and I, and I guess we're with it basically yeah it's a done deal now as you've said this is how the government are viewing it and it's right around the corner for the private sector maybe there's a lot of nerves for, for organizations around this or, or maybe not maybe they've decided to go the blanket decision route regardless of the loss of flexibility or, or the extra cost that might cause and there's, there's some maybe saying that HMRC are trying to counter this nervousness that might exist by saying, we're going to be light touch on compliance with you for the first year. What does this mean? And, and, is it, and in reality, can there be a light touch approach? Um, not really. I mean, I think it's uh, it's a bit of a red herring um, from, uh, from from HMRC's perspective. I mean, they've they've stated that they won't apply any penalties for the first year, but obviously that doesn't mean that there isn't still going to be a significant liability. You know, penalties are just applied on top of any tax liability. I mean, I think in practice, uh, generally it will take a bit of time for HMRC's compliance activity to to kick in. Um, so it may be that there won't be uh, an immediate kind of influx of cases over the first few months, but that certainly shouldn't mean that uh, the organisations kind of rest easy and think that they're going to have an easy ride. Um, HMRC, you know, still can police the legislation. I think they will see a lot of areas where they will want to make examples and set examples relatively early on. Um, so I think the light touch is uh, is probably a bit of a red herring. And I think uh, organisations should certainly be aware of that and, uh, and and sort of not rest on their laurels. So obviously maybe maybe taking that announcement with a pinch of salt, are there any last minute things, and we'll get into maybe some of the strategic organisational elements of this, but any last minute things from the, the HR or the, or the organisation, the hiring client point of view that, that you think people need to be aware of? I guess, uh, you know, there, there, clearly uh, because of COVID, um, even though we had a delay, which in theory would have given people another 12 months to prepare, I think because of all, everything else that's been going on in the country over the last uh, last few months, people are coming at this quite late. And, you know, that, that is leading to a lot of confusion. I mean, it's, you know, obviously we're well into March now. We are still getting inquiries from people every day who haven't done anything yet. And that's not necessarily a problem. People, you know, there is still time for people to put some measures in place, but uh, um, I think time is, is certainly of the essence now. I guess in terms of last minute things to be aware of, you know, the CEST, uh, HMRC's tool isn't the only option. There are alternatives out there. And I think organisations should be aware of that because people need to have choices and options and uh, have the opportunity to, to, to look at what's out there. And uh, as we know, you know, kind of blanket bans, uh, again, are not the only route. You know, the, the organisation should understand that, um, you know, people can engage Contractors post the, th the, the 6th of April. There's nothing wrong with engaging contractors, um, you know, even after the change to, to the legislation. So I think that's that's a really important point is that, you know, people don't have to take, you know, what has become known as this sort of risk averse route. There are more pragmatic and compliant ways of doing things. So for maybe that that cohort of our listeners who maybe maybe cross over with some of the people that are sending you some, you know, what can I do now? I've, I've kicked the can down the road 12 months ago when I thought COVID was going to push this back. 
what do they need to understand that that this off-payroll IR35 change might mean for, say, their ability to get the, the talent that they need or how it might affect, uh, affect the way they engage their contingent or flexible workforce? Yeah, well, I guess that's the point is that there's um, all you hear about at the moment are these kind of blanket bans. Obviously, we had a lot of people in the financial um, in the financial services sector kind of in late 2019. We had this domino effect of companies who came out and said that they're just not going to engage PSCs anymore uh, and kind of um, you know circumnavigate the, uh, the the change to the legislation completely. And you hear about those because they're very kind of direct and public stances. But what you don't hear about are the organisations who are doing things in a different way and actually, you know, considering their obligations, working through their obligations and making sure that they do carry out fair and compliant assessments. We'll hear more about those kind of post the 6th of April when those projects have been completed and, you know, they have this kind of remaining population of, of, of contractors. And obviously, as time goes on, what that will create is that competitive environment where contractors naturally are going to be um, drawn to, you know, outside IR35 contracts. You know, it's financially, it makes a huge difference to contractors, but also from a lifestyle perspective, it very much fits in with the way that they've chosen to work. Um, so, uh, you know, over the course of time, I think, uh, you know, companies who are looking at things now need to be aware that there are a lot of uh, organisations who definitely are doing things properly, who definitely will have large populations of contractors still operating outside I-35 after the 6th of April. Uh, and as you say, it will, um, you know, that, that will lead to, um, you know, that, that sort of competitive environment where companies who are doing things properly will, uh, you know, will, will have the pick of the best talent. So if I if I put my HR ass on there, if I'm being informed about it and making decisions on an individual basis rather than reactive, you know, unilateral approach, that's the way that I'm going to ensure that I'm still accessing the right talent for the right projects at the right time. Exactly. And, you know, what we've seen a lot of over the last, um, well, last 18 months, really, given the deferral, is that, um, you know, there are a lot of companies who are very keen to embrace the sort of nature and, um, and, and lot, uh, you know, the, the way that contractors work and have made sort of positive changes uh, and made sure that the, they've, um, you know, um, carried out sort of education within their business. So people within the company understand how contractors work, how contractors should be perceived and how contractors should be treated. So, you know, there are there are ways also in which con uh, companies can, um, can can adapt the way that they work to, uh, to to make sure that, you know, it is it is a place that contractors can safely and compliantly work. I'm assuming now there is no chance that it that it won't be delayed, that it won't come through. Six of April is, is, is the line in the sand now. It is. I mean, you know, clearly, uh, I think we've all learned over the last couple of years that nothing really surprises us anymore. But um, yeah, I, 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 I think we've had every opportunity now for, for uh, deferral to happen. You can quite clearly see from both the Treasury and uh, HMRC's communication that this is going ahead. You know, HMRC are doing a lot of work in terms of engaging with private sector companies uh, with webinars and, and, uh, and various communications. You know, it's clearly going ahead. Um, so, uh, you know, companies need to need to prepare. I think I've spoken to a lot of people over the last couple of weeks who said that they've left things because they were hoping for another deferral. You know, if it happened last year, we still, you know, we, we are still in the pandemic. You know, why wouldn't it happen again? But um, I think the government have been quite clear um, that, uh, you know, they need the tax revenues. And uh, obviously, they earmark this change as a, as a key way of, uh, of, of raising those revenues. So, so what happens after? So April the 6th comes, maybe my business wasn't the most prepared, if, if I'm thinking again from, from the organisation's perspective, and I'm no longer getting the 
you know, talent that I needed or it's not working for me or it's costing more or I'm no longer as flexible and agile as I, as I once was. Is there anything I can do afterwards? Is there any pressure I could, I could you know, feed back to the government or, or via, you know, organisations such as yourself? Yeah, I mean, well, in terms of feeding back to the government, I think whether or not the government listened to anything that, uh, you know, what we've seen from the public sector, which was uh, the best part of four years ago, was that the government haven't really listened to uh, to any of the feedback uh, from the difficulty that um, both public sector bodies, but also contractors had during that uh, during that period. So I, I doubt the government's going to listen to it to a great deal. But um, operationally, you know, organisations, I think I think, you know, this change will have a long tail where organisations are getting to grips with things after the dust has settled so i don't necessarily think that you know an organization's stance on the 6th of april is is gonna it will have to carry through i think there will be a lot of opportunities for, for 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 companies to adapt you know even those who potentially have taken a blanket kind of psc ban type view initially who may over the course of time realize that there are other ways of doing things um and uh, and that can be done compliantly and that can satisfy you know their sort of risk appetite at the same time so so yeah i think there's going to be a lot of um you know a, a lot of changes over the course of the next 12 months where companies do look to uh, to sort of have a bit more pragmatism about they hand, uh, how they handle things and uh, you know essentially i guess in that case it will be you know in that sense it will be a case of them starting from scratch and, and saying well look you know we've got a clean slate now let's look to build back you know build up our use of contingent labour again and, uh, and, and and do it fairly and compliantly. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for all of your, your comments and your insight um, on today's podcast. Sir. Much appreciated. No problem at all. So a massive thank you to Seb for sharing all of his expertise with us. I think you'll agree with me in, in thinking that that was just a really good holistic approach to IR35. There was no unnecessary fear-mongering. And what he said, he said fairly plainly as well. And there are some pragmatic steps that I think HR could take when it has to think about the way it engages talent in the future. So while Seb says there is essentially zero chance of IR35 being stopped for the private sector, even though it's really, really close to that deadline, he still thinks it's time to get your house in order if you haven't reacted to the incoming changes yet. And whilst he thinks the legislation might not be rescinded afterwards, despite criticism, he still thinks there's opportunity to be reactive, agile and adaptive afterwards, um, especially regards, you know, his comments saying a blanket approach to these changes, a risk averse approach is probably not going to be the best for your talent needs going forward. He's also a, a staunch believer you know, as you heard in his own words, that you can be pragmatic and still use contingent labour on the road ahead in a way that best suits you. And I guess this is the important word too, that is compliant also. So thank you for engaging with this one-off special episode on R35. We thought it was a useful exercise in putting out this content, especially as that deadline approaches. We'll be back to your usual podcast offering next week.